0: Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Jesse and Kim, as well. That was fun to hear your story. Remember when uh when I was a younger daddy, when my kids were younger, I would be notorious for taking shortcuts. That I would whether it be a, a crowded highway where I would get off the road and try to beat the traffic. Or I would take some infamous shortcut in the mountains to try to try to get there quicker, and Joey would always go, "Daddy, is this a shortcut?" Because my shortcuts would invariably uh, take more time than they were meant to be. Uh, the title of this message was "Beware of Shortcuts." Um, I've changed it; it's "Beware of Detours," and I'll explain to you why in a few minutes. But there's been times in my life where where I have taken detours, where I have taken the, the seemingly easier route instead of considering what it is that the Lord wants me to do. And I believe that the Lord has, there is a main road for each of us in our walks, that there is a main road that the Lord has called us to, and that we oftentimes take detours to take the easy route or to avoid inevitable pain that's on that main road that God has ordained. How about you? Can you think of examples in your life where where you clearly took a detour, where you got off the path that God wanted you on, but you took a, you took a path that you thought was easier? It turned out it wasn't necessarily easier. I think back to times, in Nancy, in my life where, where we have bought homes, where we have bought cars, where we have purchased things without considering, God, is this what you want us to do? And there's one case in particular I think I've shared with you before where we bought a rental house. And I bought it without talking to Nancy about it, and it turned out to be a disaster. You know the story. It was on the front page of the Colorado, and it was the meth house. And I got my tail spanked by the, lovingly spanked by the Lord because I didn't consult him, nor did I consult the bride that he gave me. However, there are times when, when we consult the Lord, say, God, is this, is this your best for us? Is this the main road? Is this the main road, or do you want me to veer off? Because I can see I can see pain ahead. And I think of the time when I left a career of 20 years, and it is so clearly in hindsight that was God's main road for me. And the detour for me would have been staying in that business when God wanted me to stay on the main road. But there are times on the main road where we need to downshift into four-wheel drive because pain is a part of the Christian life. God says that there will be trouble in this life. And oftentimes we take a detour to get away from God's from the trouble that God ordained. And oftentimes we end up in more trouble. Because God has one plan, and that plan can't be thwarted. He's got one plan for each of your lives, it can't be thwarted. And if we are detouring to avoid pain, guess what? That pain is going to follow us because God is working his good and perfect will in our lives. And he will, Tom Harkis used to say, that if you leave a church or if you leave a company because of one person that you have a hard time with, and you haven't dealt with it, wherever you end up in that new job or that new church, guess what? That same person is going to be there, different face, but the Lord has something that he wants you to learn. We're going to be taking a look today at, at Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. And we're going to see through Abram and Sarah's life that... We're going to learn from their life because they tried to take a detour. They did not consider God's best for their life. And we're going to learn from their mistakes. The passage does not address what exactly we need to learn. So we're going to look at other scripture to fill that in. Let's pray. Father, we again, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach us this morning. God, I pray that, that we would leave here this morning knowing you and loving you in a more intimate way. God, desiring that just to serve people and love people, that we'd have your eyes and we'd have your ears. God, I just pray that um, that you would help me stand behind the word. God, I pray that anything I say would not be offensive. God, I pray that your word would be what convicts. Your word would be what changes. Um, your word would, word would be what inspires. And, God, we just ask that you would mold and shape each of our hearts to look more like Jesus this morning. Amen. Open up to chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. And that's Genesis. And where we've been is uh, chapter 12 through 15. We've seen that Abram is a great man of faith. That Abram has walked in faith, walked by faith, not by sight. We saw him leave Haran where his family was. He left and had no idea where he was going. He left all the comforts of home behind. We saw him trust the Lord when God said that you will have offspring. I will make you a mighty nation. Your offspring will be a blessing to all of mankind. Abram continually trusted the Lord. Now we're going to see in chapter 16 that there's a crisis of faith. Let's read it together. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, And gave her to Abram, her husband as a wife And he went into Hagar and she conceived And when she saw that she had conceived She looked with contempt on her mistress Sarai And Sarai said to Abram May the wrong done to me be on you I gave you my servant to your embrace And when she saw that she had conceived She looked at me with contempt May the Lord judge between you and me But Abram said to Sarai Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Let's take a look at this and understand what's going on. First, we need to take a look at some important facts. And that is that it's been ten years since Abram and Sarai left Canaan. We saw in Genesis 12:2 God told them to leave. They left. It's been ten years since the promise was made. So Abram is wondering when this child is going to come. We know that Abram's heir will be his very own offspring. He found that out in chapter 15, verse 4. We know that it will not be of his household. It will be of his flesh and blood. Sarai has not been told yet if she will bear the promised offspring. So Sarai, when we see here in chapter 16, she doesn't know. She does not know if the offspring will come from her or from somewhere else. And They don't know it yet, but it'll be a total of 23 years since the promise was made before they have the promised offspring. Twenty-three years of waiting. Let's take a look at verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant." It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Where did Hagar come from? Hagar more than likely was a gift from Pharaoh to Abram when Abram was trading Sarai in. Remember when Sarah, when Abram lied to Pharaoh and he told Sarah, "I say that I'm your your brother. Tell him that you're my sister, so that it will go well with me." Well, it says that Pharaoh gave him. Male and female servants, camels and other animals. And the best that we can tell that Hagar was actually a gift from Pharaoh. We also know that Hagar is Sarah's property. A maid servant or a handmaiden is the property of the mistress. And that maidservant does anything and everything that the mistress, Sarah in this case, tells her to. Sarah recognizes that God is the one who opens and closes the womb. This is a good thing. Sarah acknowledges right here that I am barren, and God made me barren. And she is exactly right, because God makes barren and God makes fertile. We also see here that, that Sarah wants a child now, right now. On her terms, she's not willing to wait, and she's going to do anything she can to get that child. Very similar to to Adam and Eve. Remember when Eve wanted that fruit? She didn't care if God said, stay away from it. She wanted it and she gave it to her husband. The only difference here is that Sarai is not disobeying God. Eve disobeyed God. Sarai is more of a sin of omission instead of commission. She, She did not consult the Lord. She said, I want a child. I want it now. I'm going to go get it. She takes matters into her own hands. Second half of verse 2, And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. Observations. Abram listened to his wife. That's neutral. Not necessarily good, not necessarily bad. Men? Men? You are to listen to your wives. I saw a few of these going on. We are to listen to our wives. They are our completers and our helpers. Has anybody seen the movie, um, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? The lady, the, I don't remember her name, but the one that talked about the babopsi on her shoulder, she said, it is correct that the man is the head of the home, but the woman is the neck and she turns the head. Not biblical. Adam listening to his wife is very similar to when, excuse me, Abram listening to his wife is very similar to when, when Adam listened to Eve. Except once again, Adam went against God's direct command. Abram did not go against any command right here. It's very important to understand this. It was a sin of omission, not commission. He did not disobey God. What he didn't, what he did is he operated in the flesh. He didn't take it to the Lord. It seems as though that Abram got caught up in the classic Christian male syndrome. And that is is that we want so much peace in our home that we're not willing to take a stand. We'd rather say, yes, dear, rather than, dear, can we bring this before the Lord? And Abram was more concerned about pleasing Sarai than he was pleasing the Lord. Paul, if you'd, if you'd open up your Bibles real quick to uh, Galatians 4.23. This is really important. When you're reading the Old Testament, the New Testament is the best commentary you can find. There's things up that are not fully disclosed in the Old Testament that are fully disclosed in the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul says this. He says, The son of the slave, the son of Hagar, was born according to the flesh. While the son of the free woman was born through promise. And this is so insightful. Because Ishmael, as we're going to see, was born to Hagar through the flesh. It was not a God-inspired or spirit-inspired endeavor. The child of promise was born through Sarai. There's a lifetime of consequences for this family in generations to come. Some of the immediate consequences is that there's two wives now. And I'm not sure it was, it was probably negative for Abram, but it was definitely negative for Sarai. Can you imagine two women competing for the same man? There's strife in the home. And long-term, the Arab-Israeli conflict, as we know it now, came right from not trusting the Lord. As you know, the, the Muslims believe that they, they have a father, Abraham, as well. It comes through the line of Hagar. And the, the Arabs and the Israelis will be in conflict until the day the Lord comes. It doesn't matter what we do militarily. There's going to be conflict until the day the Lord comes. Let's take a look at the last two verses and then get into some application. And when she saw that she had conceived, that she is Hagar, Turned on her mistress. In Proverbs 31 it says this. Excuse me. Proverbs 30, 21 says this. Under three things the earth trembles. Under four it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes a king. A fool when he is filled with food. An unloved woman when she gets a husband. And a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. There was guaranteed trouble. Because Sarai, or excuse me, Hagar had been elevated to the same position as Sarai. It says here that she became Abram's wife. Not merely a concubine, but a wife. And that created stress and strife in the home. Sarai blames it all on Abram. She says, Abram, it's your fault. Let the Lord judge. It's your fault. Abram absolves his responsibility, and he checks out. Men, this is our problem today too. When the heat gets turned up, when there's big decisions to make, when our kids are wayward, we check out. I can't tell you how many homes today that the woman is a primary disciplinarian. That's not God's design. It's not God's design. God has designed the man as a shepherd, as the head of the home. Sarai deals harshly with Hagar. That's bad. She should have taken this response that we see in 1 Peter 2.20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, Sarai thought she was doing something good for Hagar. She thought she was doing something good for Abram, even though she was acting very selfishly. Hagar turned on her. And it is never right to revile when somebody reviles. When somebody reviles you, I'm not sure where that line is, particularly as as fathers, when somebody messes with our wives or with our kids. We see that Hagar flees from the abuse and confusion that she encounters. And stay tuned to the latter part of verse 16 to see how God deals with Hagar. It's very encouraging. Let's take a look at some principles. Beware of detours. Let me explain this. We make plans in our lives, all of us have different plans in our workplace, in the church, with our family. Proverbs 69 says, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Okay, what that is, is that's our plans, and we want the Lord to take us on detours from our plans. But God has one plan for each of your life. He's got one plan. And He's given us free will to get off track on that plan. I'm not talking salvation here. To get off track on that plan. But his plan is not thwarted, and if we detour off of his plan, it's gonna be painful, and ultimately we're gonna be right back there, but we but it's, but detours don't save us time off. Remember the name of the message originally was, was, uh, beware of the easy road? Okay? Well, the easy road may be the detour, at least initially. Okay? The main road is not always the easy road, but it's the right road. And my question is, is, is how do we confirm that we're on the right road? Bottom line folks, how would have Abram and Sarai confirmed that they were on the right road to, for Abram to take Hagar and to have a baby? How do you know in the little and the big decisions in life that you're on the right road? I thought it was really interesting that we ended up in this passage as we're trying to make decisions about the building and about Rez and about where we end up. The question is, is not so much what we want, but what does the Lord want? How do we confirm that we're on the right road, which is God's road, and that we're not taking detours to fit our opinions, our desires, and our paradigms? I would submit to you that God has given us gauges. If you take the analogy of being in the car, staying on God's road versus taking the detour, there are certain gauges that we can look at to see if we're on the right road. Gauge one, number one. If you're making a decision, ask yourself these questions. Check these gauges. Are you willing to wait? If God's put something on your heart, adopt a child, another job, move to Windsor, are you willing to wait? Psalm 27:14 says, "Wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord." James 1 verse 12 says, "Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. I want to reemphasize something. The main road, God's road, is not without trials." And when we want to, excuse me, is not, yes, we're not without trials. And when we want to take the detours because we want to get away from those trials. Gauge number two. Believer, have you died to self? Have you died to your own agendas? Have you died to your opinions? Have you died to your paradigms? Have you died to your past experience? Yes, God will use all of that sometimes in telling you what He wants you to do. But if you died to all of that, have you have you said, "I'm holding my opinions, my agendas, my paradigms like this"? God, I'm died. I, I'm dying to you in the big things, in the small things. Luke 22 says, "Father, if you are willing," this is Jesus praying to the Father. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Remove it. Jesus is looking down the Father's main road. He said, God, if you would let me, would you let me take the detour? I don't want this pain. But here's what he says. But not my will be done, but your will. It's okay to be say, God, I see that straight ahead. I don't want to go through that. Would you remove it from me? And if he says no, I put that there to mold and shape you so you can look more like Jesus. If he put that there, guess what? he 's going to give you the strength to go through it. Luke 9:23 says it were to deny ourselves, daily pick up our cross and follow him. Deny ourselves. Think about that in the context of making a decision. We 've all got preferences i got so many preferences. We've all got preferences. But he says, die to yourself. Die to your opinions. Die to your paradigms. Die to your agendas. Third gauge. Are you trusting the Lord for the process and the outcome? You know, sometimes I can say, God, I, I, I totally trust you for the outcome. God, I... I trust you with what you're doing in my son Mitchell's life. I trust you for that outcome. But but I'm not so sure about the process that you're taking him through. So trust the Lord in the process and the outcome. There's a gauge. James 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we all know this. This says, trust in the Lord. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways. Lean not on your own understanding, and He'll make your path straight. We watched a video the other night that uh, our dear friends of Simmons gave us to look at by Richard Warmbrand and his wife. And some of you may know the story and uh, he wrote the book, Tortured for Christ, um, started the ministry of the Persecuted Church, or Voice of the Martyrs. And one quote in there, I'm going to butcher it, but you get the spirit of it, is, is that, that he's been to all the beautiful places in the world. He says he's been to California. He says he's been to Italy. He's been to the, the Mediterranean. And the most beautiful sight that he's ever seen, you remember what it was? the most beautiful sight he'd ever seen was in prison after he'd been beaten seeing the face of Jesus. It's like Stephen after he was stoned. He saw Christ. And that we're trying to run from our trials. We trust the Lord for the outcome. We trust the Lord for the fruit that's going to come. But oftentimes we don't trust Him for the process. And I'm not saying the process is easy, but I'm saying that that process is on the main road, that he'll give you everything you need to plow through it everything you need Psalm one, twelve, seven says he's talking about a man of God he is not afraid of bad news his heart is firm trusting in the Lord how many of you spend time just fearful of bad news I like I've confessed to you before that I oftentimes worry about the health and safety of my kids. I worry about Mitch when he graduates in May, about if he's going to have a job. Okay. A man or woman who's walking with the Lord is not afraid of bad news. His or her heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. I love this quote by Elizabeth Elliott that uh, Nancy gave to me last night. She says, Discontentment is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. Discontentment is having what you don't want and wanting what you don't have. The fourth gauge is to ask yourself this question. Is my chief aim in this decision to glorify God? Is my chief aim to glorify God? Or is it somehow to glorify me? Is it somehow to glorify you? First Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. John Piper has a great quote that says that, that when we are most when we are most satisfied in God, He is most glorified in us. When we are most satisfied in God, He is most glorified in us. And dissatisfaction and discontentment is an epidemic in the church in America today. Fifth gauge. Are you obeying God's Word? Because there is no decision There is no answer from the Lord that contradicts His Word. Over the years, I've heard people tell me the Lord has told me to get a divorce. When you hear something like that, you should hear that ding, 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 ding. It goes against God's Word. He hates divorce. There's so much grace. If there's... If there's people in the room, if you've been divorced, you know what? God's all over that. He's a God of grace. But the principle is when we're making a decision, it never contradicts God's Word. You can start and you can finish right there. But there are certain things like where should my son go to college? When should we move from res? Where should we move That isn't specifically addressed in here. So we've got to look at principles in God's Word. Sixth gauge. Are you listening? Are you listening? Noah and Abram were characterized by what? Walking with God. And if we're not walking with God, we're not going to hear them. We can ask all we want. We can ask, God, is this you or is this me? Do you want me to stay on this path? Do you want me to go right? Do you want me to go left? But if we're not willing to listen, and the reason that we're not willing to listen oftentimes is because we've not died to self. We can't hear the Lord because we've got opinions and agendas. Folks, I want to tell you, that just so there's not even a hint of self-righteousness that I am at the front of the line when it comes to agendas, when it comes to not listening to the Lord and one of the practices that I'm trying to get in the habit of is one day a month to get away for a full day and just to be with the Lord and to listen speak and listen and I'm trying to do two hours a week and um, Was it Martin Luther that said that I pray two hours a day unless it gets really busy and I pray more? And most of us, right, most of us will pray two hours a day or an hour a day or we'll spend time listening when there's a crisis. The seventh gauge. Do you have God's joy and peace? Can I submit to you? that He'll never tell you to do anything where He's not going to give you the joy and peace to follow it. If you're without God's joy and peace on a decision, and this is one of the things I love about, um, honestly, where we're at as a church right now, is that we don't move forward on anything until we're sensing God's peace. And just in the way of a prayer request is um, we have a 10-man leadership team in this church and we are desperately seeking the Lord for what He has for us in the way of a facility. And if we've got to wait on the Lord for 20 years, we're going to wait on the Lord. But we're not going to take one step until there is joy and there's peace. I love this verse. You've probably seen it in a bunch of my emails last month or so. I love it out of the NASB. I'm going to read it out of the ESV. I like it here too. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Here's what, Here's how the NASB says it. One change in the word. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in trusting. Where does joy and peace come from? Trusting the Lord. So that what happens when you trust? So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Can I encourage you to, as you're thinking through these these gauges, that, that as you read if you look at Hebrews eleven and you look at the, the hall of faith where he lists where where the Lord lists the great men and women of faith throughout Scripture, Read with your kids, with your spouses, with your friends, ladies in a study, men in a study. Read through the accounts of these great men and women. And how it is that they made decisions. And how when they, when they got out of God's will, when they took a detour, how sometimes they were pounded. But how when they stayed on the main path that the Lord had for them, they always operated with joy and peace. There was trials when they were on God's main road, but they always had joy and peace as they trusted the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you that um, we thank you first, God, for dying for us, Lord Jesus. We thank you that when we were yet sinners, you came to die the righteous for the unrighteous we thank you Father that you sent your son and that he will, willing went to, went to the cross and died for the guilt of our sin that every past, present and future transgression is covered by the blood of Christ we thank you Lord Jesus that when you ascended that the comforter the Holy Spirit was left with us. That every one of us who have put our faith and trust in You have the Holy Spirit that illuminates Your Word, that gives us understanding of Your Word. We thank You that Your Word is a lamp unto our feet. There is a lamp on our path, a light unto our path. We thank You, Holy Spirit, that when we are headed down the wrong road, when we jump off of the main road that you've put us on, that, that you convict us, that you gently guide us back on. We thank you for trials. We thank you for tests. We thank you for the peaceable fruit that comes from that. And God, I pray that, um, that we would be a church that is characterized by our bold, reckless faith that we trust You. And God, uh, it's those small decisions where it's so hard to hear Your voice. And Father, I just pray that You speak to us. I pray, Father, that we would just uh, submit ourselves to You in prayer. God, would You put people on our hearts also that are neighbors, that are coworkers, that You want us to spend time with. I pray that even there, God, we won't operate in the flesh. Father, that you would tell us uh, who it is you want us to spend time with. God, we need you so much. Would you strengthen us today and this next week to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh? Amen.